been well over a year and a half ago now that the deal was agreed upon, the purchase agreement was signed and I had made the amount of cash I would have never even dreamed of making a couple of years before that. And the biggest payday for every entrepreneur is usually going to be the day that they sell their business, which is something I did with the help of today's guest, Corin Woodmass. Corin is also known as the FBA broker, meaning he helps e-commerce business owners sell their business while also helping investors and buyers buy a business, working as the third party that makes it a win, ideally for everyone. And we've had a fair share of ups and downs in my process of selling my business due to unexpected complications along the way of transferring the business, which ended up taking over 300 days. An experience that has really stretched my ability to deal with uncertainty, but was definitely worth going through considering how it changed my life and my bank account. And in this episode, we also talk about how you can prepare your business for exit and sell for the maximum value, common pitfalls sellers fall into that you should avoid at all costs, and also how to end up on the buying side and make your first acquisition if you're currently sitting on a nice pile of cash and also what to avoid. So if you want to find out more about Corin, you can check out his podcast, The Truth About Exits, and his website, thefbabroker.com. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. We've worked together on uh, my business exit, um, and it's been quite a journey, which um, I've probably shared in the intro now. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful for what you've done uh, and how you helped me with my exit. And I'd love to know, uh, what are some of the things that you have seen are really crucial for preparing for an exit when it comes to yeah. e-commerce businesses or really any other business that you've, that you've worked with so far? Yeah, sure. So I think any, any e-commerce business or Amazon-based business, the, the first thing is really understanding what your business is. And what I mean by that is understanding what drives the business. So if your business is growing, What's the cause of that growth? And if the business is changing over time, which they always do, what's causing the, the change? And a lot of that boils down to knowing your financials. Um, that's critical. And that's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest hurdles to actually getting a business, not only listed for sale, but through diligence and into the closing table where you actually get paid, which is the only point to sell a business. Um, you can list without this, but it's, if, you, if you're interested in getting paid, you want the, those financials to be there. Um, specifically with Amazon e-commerce businesses or e-commerce businesses selling physical products, you really want to know from, from the buyer's perspective, they want to know what the trend of each product is. So product life cycle, profitability trends over time, year over year growth of each of those products, not just of the business as a whole. Because a lot of businesses can look like they're growing year over year and just looking at the, the financial statements, the P&L looks great. But then once you dig into the business, maybe something you don't really know what's really going on in a business until you dig into it. So that's the main thing is you as the seller knowing what's actually happening in your business, what's driving the current trend and what levers you can actually pull. Yeah, I can relate to that so much because I remember the first time I got really clear about my financials and I thought, oh my God, this is a bit embarrassing. I actually thought I was making way more. And uh, the funny thing is, uh, I've realized that with everyone so far that I know that once they actually got clear on the numbers, they were a bit shocked at first because finally they saw the real numbers and they were usually lower than what they expected. 
So I advise anyone to really get clear, really clear on the numbers as soon as you can, even if you don't think about selling your business. So let's say you had a business and you know, hey, in a year from now, I want to exit this business, maybe two years from now. What are some of the things that you would do to maximize its value? What are some of the practical things or uh, things you would think about? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a client that we're about to take to market now. We first spoke about a year ago. And when we went through their high level numbers, I realized their net profit was really low. And a couple of the things we, we discussed with that client and now they've improved was they had essentially they had too many products and they weren't charging enough. <laughs> so is what it boiled down to, uh, to improve their, their bottom line. So they, they went through, they cleared out the dead stock. They tested raising prices, which you can't always do, but it's worth testing to generate more revenue per SKU. And then, yeah, they looked at the, the entire product range. So that's, that's one thing. Uh, what I used to do with my e-commerce businesses, I'd run my P&L every month. Um, and we would know roughly our valuation each month because I'd been watching the market for a long time. So each and every month I knew if our valuation was going up or if it was going down based on the trailing 12 months. So it's worth checking in just from that perspective. And a good metric, depending on the size of the business, is two to three times your annual net profit is probably where you you would be. Um, if it's a larger business, maybe up to four, but it depends. So I'd use the two to three range just as a, as a watermark level to see what your business could potentially be worth and then keep tracking that over time. Also optimizing the business for a sale. So typically there's, there's a life, uh, life cycle is probably overused, but there's, <laughs> there's uh, trends or things you can focus on each year of business. So in an Amazon business specifically or an e-commerce business, what I've seen is typically it takes about a year to figure out the niche or the, the vertical you want to sell into. The second year is often doubling down on that, that niche. So similar to yourself, you had a single target market with your brand and you expanded those product lines. And that's usually the second and maybe even the third year. And then you can optimize those lines for profit before going to sell, or you can keep growing the business. So people often try and do too many things at the same time. And that's not how you optimize for a sale. If you're, if you're figuring out the, the niche, do that first. If you're doubling down and expanding the product line, do that second and then optimize for your exit because you want to be as profitable as you can be. And you don't want to be launching a ton of new products. I had a call with a guy, uh, two guys, um, two, two, three months ago, they said, oh, we're looking at selling the business. We dug into the, the details. It sounded great. And we're about to launch 80, eight, zero, 80 new products <laughs> um, at the same time as they're wanting to go to sell. And I said, look, that's, that's insane. Don't do that. Just go launch your products if you feel so confident about them and let's optimize for profit next. Because as you know, it costs a lot to launch even just one product let alone a whole suite of 80 products. Yeah, they, they should have really had their systems down if they want to uh, launch 80 products at once. Wow. So yeah. one of the ways that I looked at it was that uh, your business is kind of like a product that you're selling and you're thinking about uh, the buyer in a way that, yeah, he's a customer. He's a customer. He's, he's buying the thing that you've built. And um, one of the things that I realized was that 
uh, one of the most important questions to ask is really, would I want to, would I want to buy that business? Um, so I think it's one of the most important questions uh, that uh, usually buyers ask is why do you want to sell? So what are some of the, what are some of the, re what are some of the common, most common reasons why people want to sell and uh, what have you kind of observed in that? Yeah. That's, that's a great question, mate. And absolutely true. Um, this is the, the one question you'll hear over and over again when you go to sell the business. And typically the surface level reasons are what everyone gives. So people say, look, I've, I'm taking some risk off the table. I'm going to invest in other things. I have another project I'm working on. Um, I've got this to a point and I don't know how to grow it further. These are all all legitimate reasons to sell a business, but it's not the real reason. The first one, the risk kind of touches on it, but everyone knows that there's fear involved. So fear of loss, fear of things changing. If you're Amazon dependent, fear of Amazon. And the more upfront you are about your fears in the business, the more trust you'll build with the buyer faster because they're thinking the exact same thing. I often talk to people and I get the sense that they're thinking of selling as in passing the hot potato to someone else. And I better sell this quickly before things turn and it goes to zero. No one's going to buy that, right? If that's the scenario. And if they get that sense from you, they're not gonna buy the business. There's so many businesses for sale right now. We're tracking almost 200 or more active listings right now at any given time. We, we update these stats weekly. And there's a lot of businesses in the million plus range, seven, eight figure range, there's over 80, 90 different businesses to choose from. So even at a larger level, you've got a lot of competition. So like you mentioned, your business is really a product at that point, once you go to market and having, having a good brand is, is something that's great. Growing trends is good. Knowing your, your numbers is critical, absolutely critical. And then operations. And this is something you're, you, you do really well and did really well with your business was having systems and processes and people in place to take over and operate the business. The next level above that is having your growth strategy team in-house and able to transfer with the business. If you want to go to that next level of higher multiple, the more you can replace yourself in the business, the potential, the higher multiple that could be reached. I, I love that analogy that you gave, uh, on the hot potato because uh that's yeah i talk I, I know a lot of guys who are yeah in the process of thinking about selling their business and it's just like i wouldn't want to buy that business and uh, i feel sorry for anyone that would because it's it's all over the place and uh, what what actually i'm curious what actually happens if okay let's say someone is able to sell a hot potato business and the people that, that buy the business realize hey this business is a complete mess we really made a really bad investment what happens then do you have any references yeah, so fortunately, we've not seen a catastrophic event after the fact. Uh, but in your contract purchase agreement, there'll be reps and warranties, representations and warranties. And these are things that you're actually on the hook for after the fact. So a big one in the US right now is sales tax. For many years, it's been almost optional for, say, a foreign entity to pay sales tax in the US, or even for some would argue specific states, whether you do or don't need to pay sales tax. So what we're seeing right now with the laws that are changing here in the US is 
sellers being on the hook for future sales tax regardless. So that'll be backed. If it's ever backdated, you'll be on the hook for sales tax anyway, right? So that's one example. Um, we did have after, after an exit um, where the, the new owner saw in, intense competition very soon after selling the business. And essentially the, the competitor came in, same price, more product basically. So took out his, his profit margin. And that's the one area where that's not really the, the seller's um, doing, that's the market. So in that case, it was like, oh, that, that sucks. Well, here's, here's a couple ways to handle that and going in with eyes wide open. So there's market forces, there's um, external forces, and then there's things that you do. So think about it the way um, this way, if you're doing something to improve sales or impact sales in some way, you will be on the hook to, for that after the sale. So it's not like you pass the hot potato anyway, you'll still be liable and potentially could get sued if something isn't as, as represented during the process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's how it, that's how it should be. I mean, I, I already know that I'm going to be on the buy side in the future as well. So, uh, I wouldn't want that to happen to anyone. So, um, yeah. we've also been through quite a process when it came to selling my business. I've also been on your podcast where we shared that where, uh, the entire exit process took more than 300 days, I think. And, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, outside forces that we didn't expect to happen that uh, complicated the whole process. So I'm curious, what are some of the other, um, interesting stories you have around, uh, a, a business exit, maybe some, some other, uh, cautionary tales or also things that, uh, you know, just give some advice to other people when it comes to selling their business and preparing for, for that process that can be uh, quite uh, challenging. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of the really critical things and something that can really impact your chances of selling is operating and maintaining the business during the sale process. I've had a number of clients that have taken their eye off the ball during the marketing sale process of their business. And what happens is we can get buyers interested in business, but once they see the updated numbers, the updated trends, they freak out or they'll offer a local offer or they'll just leave. And you only get one, one chance for a first impression with these guys. They're not coming back, right? So if you don't, if you take the eye off the ball too early, then that can really impact the chance of selling or especially during diligence. Um, what we're actually seeing as a trend right now is diligence taking longer because we're mostly dealing on seven and eight figure deals right now. Um, personally, what we're brokering. And we're seeing those, those diligence periods taking three, four months or sometimes longer to actually get through diligence. There's multiple stakeholders. There's a lot of financing being required. So it's just more steps. And if you, if you think just because you get an LOI or a good offer that you're done, you're not done. <laughs> you're not done until you're paid as you very well know. So that's something that we're seeing as a, as a trend we always advise our clients to keep running their businesses, but unfortunately not everyone listens to us. And it's usually friends of mine actually that, that oh, don't okay. listen to me. Oh, Corin's got this. He's got all the buyers. They'll be fine. I, I can only do so much. I can only bring the buyers in and start negotiating what they're actually buying is what's actually happening. We, we can't spin that. It's, this is what it is. Right. So that's yeah. very important. Yeah. One of the things that I also learned is that the most important time, in selling your business is while you are selling it. So that's when you should be growing 
the most. Ideally, you want to sell the business when you don't want to, because then it is a product that you have, an asset that you have, that you love because it's growing, it's exciting. And that's when someone else would pay way more for that as well, because it is yes. exciting. So, uh, and then also, um, yeah, if you keep your eye off and it starts going down, like uh, that's one of the worst times for that. And uh, basically, oftentimes people want to sell because they don't enjoy their business anymore. They don't know how to grow it or they don't, uh, it, it's just not moving forward. So it's probably one of the worst uh, times to sell when it comes to getting a valuation. I mean, it's still, um, it's still, you know, if, if, if that's the good time to sell because you, you want to move on, uh, still go ahead and sell it. But ideally, you want to sell it when, it's at an all-time high and it just keeps going up, uh, which is a tricky thing because that's when you don't want to sell it. So Yes, yeah, exactly. There's, there's never that perfect time. You'll never capture all the value. And if you ever did, something would change and then you'd be on the hook, like I said, anyway. So it's, it's definitely want that, to sell into that rising trend. The only, the only flip side to that is if you're a more established business, so think 10 years, 20 years plus, and you've got a very very solid track record, almost flat income, which isn't an Amazon business, but say a, a traditional business or a different business model where you have really sustainable income, recurring income, and a team of people running that, that would be seen as a different investment. It also would appeal to different buyers. The, um, the Harvard Business School here in the US have a number of the business schools actually have these these programs where they teach MBAs how to go and buy businesses. Um, I think their book is called How to Buy a Business, the Harvard Business uh, Review, How to Buy a Business. Um, there's two lecturers there that talk about how to acquire these long-standing um, really long history businesses. And that's a different type of buyer altogether, which is an interesting model, but just not uh, related so much to e-commerce or Amazon specifically. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I'm curious to know as well is how did you get into what you're doing now? Uh, how, where did you end up? Uh, so first of all, I think you uh, worked uh, at Empire Flippers or Flipper. And then later on, you moved on to yeah, your own uh, FBA broker business now. So what, yeah. what did your journey look like? Yeah, so I actually started on the buy side. So I was, I started, uh, my wife and I left Australia over six years ago now. And initially it was to keep, it, the initial thought was how do we generate income while we're traveling? Because we wanted to travel the world and, and see all these cool places, live the four-hour work week lifestyle, right? Like everyone that, does these lifestyle design trips, um, but we'd come from corporate backgrounds. So that was, I was in digital marketing. Prior to that was in um, commercial property management. So I guess I have some of the finance operational um, level strategy stuff and then the marketing on top of that. And we had some capital to work with because we'd saved up um, cash to go travel. And then we sold our house along the way as well after about a year of being on the road. And I started looking at what I could do. I started e-commerce consulting um, with a couple of clients. I was interested in that, built an e-commerce business from scratch. But at the same time, I was looking at where else to deploy the capital. I was looking at visa options in, in the UK, for example. And one of the things that kept popping up was you could buy a business and, and then work that into a visa. And I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. But then I saw that the online multiples were increasing and were actually selling for higher multiples than traditional brick and mortar businesses. And once I started reading that, I started going very deep into online businesses, um, M&A, so buying and selling 
um, online businesses. And that's how I got my start. I actually, I bought a portfolio of income generating websites and had the e-commerce business that had, had some scale at that point as well. I built and sold that e-commerce business. Um, a lot of the portfolio I bought was, uh, was actually um, Google dependent and we, had a Go we went through a Google update. So that was interesting as well, seeing have everything going great and then dipping, et cetera. Uh, so at that same time, I was actually in Berlin at the time and some of my friends were asking, how do we prepare for sale? A few of them were looking to acquire businesses as well and saying, well, how do you evaluate these things? How do you not get scammed? And uh, so I'd, I'd literally started consulting for free. Um, another broker came through Berlin that summer and we had a, a long chat about how he was, um, how he got into brokerage and why he did it. At the time, I thought he was crazy for brokering the deals instead of buying them. And uh, he said to me, literally, deal flow. He's like, that's why I do it, for deal flow. And as I further understood that concept and what, why I do what I do now is to see so many different businesses and help so many different people than the businesses I could acquire on my own or even with other people. So that's, that's how I kind of got into this. Um, did start Empire Flippers. I was there for a while, love those guys that they're doing cool stuff. And then we, I saw the trend of the buy side in Amazon and the interest in these physical product businesses. It appeals to a much wider audience than an AdSense, an Amazon affiliate site, or any of these type of websites that are generating income online because you can't feel it and touch it. And even though most Amazon sellers never even see their products, there are physical products. The, the, the buyers can order the products and they often do. They'll check them out and look at them. So that's, that's the difference is you can hold it and touch it. So that's, that's what I saw, a huge demand on the buy side and went into this um, full, full force uh, three years ago. So, yeah. Wow, that's a really cool story. It's, I didn't know that you were actually starting out on the buy side. That's interesting. So, and also uh, that, that bigger picture strategy that you have that you do that for deal flow. So you're just sneaking in there and then you get the best deals for yourself. And then, so you still, so, are you still buying? So I'm not, now, I'm not actively acquiring. So the reason, the okay. reason I stopped acquiring, there's a couple of reasons, but the main reason was I got to that four hour work week, mostly through acquisition. And I was, I actually was bordering on depression. <laughs> um, I just, ha I had no joy out of operating a four hour work week business and operating these sites was just, there was nothing really to do. The only stuff we were doing was because we wanted to do it. We made some tweaks and improved some things and improved revenue and that was fun, but it just, it wasn't meaningful. It didn't feel real. So that, that wasn't actually fulfilling. So what I, all I do now is advise people on how to proceed and how to optimize for an exit, actually going through the exit, um, negotiating with buyers and that type of thing. So I, I love that side of it and doing deals. I love that piece, but operating businesses I now know is not my skill set. Yeah, <laughs> it's not what I like to do. Yeah. Um, so you talked about how you, um, you got into the, you saw the trend in the e-commerce space. So I'm curious to know what are some of the trends that you see coming now, not just in e-commerce, but maybe online businesses in general, or even businesses in general, is there anything that you picked up where you, where you think, I think this is going that way, or this is where things are moving now? Yeah, so that's a great question. So when I first started the FBA broker, you could literally sell an Amazon-based business. If you just were selling products on Amazon, there was buyers for that. The market has changed significantly 
to like you did, you built a brand around a, a, a segment. So you had a target market that you were appealing to that brand covered that, that niche. So what we're seeing now is brands being more important than before. And I think that's only going to continue. Um, the net profit that businesses are making and the trend of those product life cycles, the product trends, the, the product um, profit per product is going to be increasingly be more, more uh, required to actually sell a business, if that makes sense, because so there's so many businesses out there. Yeah. So having good metrics, good financial metrics and a real brand are really important. Uh, because buyers have so much choice. They can literally, you know, they could start looking today and in a week they could see hundreds, hundreds of listings. It's not hard to find them. And they could sign up to our, our Market Watch Monday and see all of them every week, right? So they can, they can go check out a lot of businesses and it doesn't take long to be able to compare because there's so many. You can see, well, this one's making 40% net. This one's making 10% net. I think I want the 40%. Or this one's making a lot of profit, but the the trends of the business or the product trends themselves, they don't have a lot of life cycle. They need to keep launching new products. And unless I want a job launching new products all the time, I don't know if I want this business. So I think that's the biggest trend is buyers are getting more savvy. They know there's a lot of contrast in the market. So it's it's easy for them to find out what's a good deal. Um, I, overall though, I think regardless of market economic cycles, a good business is all, always sellable. It's just ideally you want to choose when to sell your business, not um, think that the market is changing, right? So the, the stronger your business is, the more profitable it is, the more it runs without you, you, you'll have options whenever it comes to sell your business and regardless of business type as well, as long as the thing's growing and sustainable, you'll always find buyers. What are some of the most common mistakes that we haven't talked about yet uh, that you see sellers make when it comes to preparing for an exit or going through an exit? Yes. Um, one of the most common ones is trying to find that peak time to sell their business. So either they list the business when they think it's at the peak and then it starts declining, they take the eye off the ball, like we mentioned before, or they wait until the entire cycle's through and the business is definitely trending down. And that's a really bad time to go, go to market because any investor, any buyer will run the projection. But if they'll look at the current trend and they'll project it out because they need their capital back. They're not putting this in for fun. They, they need a better return on capital. And a buyer will always um, be quick if they think they're going to get a better return than what they're paying for it today. And that's the fundamental reason someone will buy something. If they think they can turn a business around, that's risk they're taking. So they're not going to factor that in and pay you for what they could do with the business because it hasn't been done yet. If it could be done, you would have done it. So <laughs> that's the biggest mistake, I think, is when you see the, the business turn and then trying to sell it. That's just, I, I like to negotiate from a position of power and strength. And that's the only way to go into a deal. <laughs> if you come in with weakness and your business is tanking, the, the offers will be horrible, if any at all. Yeah, you don't want that. Again, you want to sell when you actually want to keep the business, when the business is doing so well that you actually want to keep it because that's when other people yeah. want to have it. So um, I'd love to talk more about actually being on the buyer side. And um, mm -hmm. the thing is that 
there's some there's some guys in our masterminds now that um, that are selling their businesses or that are that are making huge profits in their business and they just don't know where to put their capital. They think about real estate or some other things, but uh, I think buying businesses is actually really interesting because it provides cash flow and it's still an asset that you can sell. So, um, what what would you tell anyone that is getting started on the buying side of businesses mm-hmm. and maybe someone that doesn't have any experience yet? Yeah, I'd say take take your time with it and really think it through. Um, one of my favorite, I've got a number of favorite books on on buying, but a book to start with would be The Snowball, which is essentially the autobiography of Warren Buffett. And one of the things he mentions, and he's very public about this, he thinks that every investor should get a punch card with with maximum of 10 holes on it. <laughs> and that should be all the investments you're allowed to make ever. And he said, if people had a limit to the amount of investments they'll ever make, they'll think about them more thoroughly and probably make a better decision. So research, research, research until you're, you're falling asleep with research. You want to understand what drives value and what you're really getting into. So if you're really good on Amazon, it doesn't mean you're a great um, acquisition guy. You need, you need to build that skill set. Right, so it's not just about market valuations; it's about what a good deal is for you. I actually had a a guy on my podcast, Shaquille, from um, he's based here in Austin, and uh, that one just went live today. Actually, as we're talking um, on our podcast, Truth About Exits, he was talking. Um, he said his biggest mistake was the first deal he looked at, he acquired. Oh wow! <laughs> and um, it actually turned out okay for him, but he said, "Yeah, you should probably." You know, research and look at a few more deals before you buy. So it's, it's worked out well for them. But um, yeah, this is something to really define your criteria before you go and look for acquisitions. Don't start looking for acquisitions and then jump in. Um, I've seen a number of people do that. I did that as well. I jumped in too early. So it's once you get the idea in your head that you can go acquire revenue, it's very appealing. And if you look at any M&A stats worldwide, a lot of the transactions don't actually close for various reasons, or some of the mergers don't work out, even in these large companies with a lot of capital, a lot of executive team level um, knowledge, they still don't work out. So you need to get very clear on why you're doing it, what your alternatives are, and what your criteria and what your strategy is. You, I look at this as where I would buy again is if I had extreme leverage and an unfair advantage, that's what I'd be looking to, to acquire for. So you'd want to say you're really great with um, supply side. So your suppliers are awesome. I would, I would buy something that your supplier could source at a better price, let's say, well, there's logistics savings you could have. So there's, there's cost savings, there's sales improvement, there's op- operational optimization. So maybe you don't need as many staff. Those things are a leverage. Everyone thinks about top line. So how do I make more sales with this? But really some of those internal things, if you could take, if you could leverage that, that's great. Also distribution channels, especially in e-commerce. If you're dealing with physical products and you have say retail distribution, or even you're really good at selling through your own website, which is a, a skill set not a lot of Amazon sellers have. If you can find complementary products and upsell your upsell, cross-sell um, your products or these new products to your current database, that's a win for you, right? And you wouldn't pay more for that, but that's a win for you as the buyer. Um, another thing I've been thinking about personally as a business owner is 
I think the, um, the knee-jerk reaction or the first thought we always have when we have excess capital is where do I put it? We don't look at what we already have. So you probably have some assets internally that you're not, that you're overlooking, or maybe you could replace yourself some more, invest in people to replace yourself. If your business is already have, having a great return on capital, maybe put some people in there and, and remove yourself from the business. There's no, there's no downside really there because you understand that business. You don't have to vet it. You're already in it. So I think there's a, a case to look at your own business at, at first and also along the way, because that's going to change over time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, and I, I've had a similar experience now having sold my business that all of a sudden you have that money and you sit on it and you're like, what do I do now? And then you thought you'd be, you'd feel safe and you'd feel like, yes, I'm good now. I don't have to worry about money for the next few years. You actually end up worrying a lot more than you used to back then because you don't have any cash flow anymore. And you feel like I got to do something with that money. I got to invest it. So yeah, it's critical to, uh, to really practice patience and really take your time with your investments and even sit on the money and just wait um, before making any wrong moves. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to know what are some of the skills that everybody needs that, um, that wants to start buying a business. I mean, you already talked about having, yeah, having a, an unfair advantage. Maybe you have a skill of doing Facebook advertising and selling through your own website. I mean, if you have that and you buy an Amazon business, I think it's incredible. You're going to, that if you have that skill, that's amazing. But what are some of the fundamental skills uh, that you need in order to actually buy a business? Mm. That's a really great question. I think you need either you or your team needs to be able to operate it, right? So I wouldn't rely necessarily on the staff that come with the business, especially if it's only a couple of VAs or something. It's not really an, an operational infrastructure. So you want to make sure that you could actually run whatever it is you're about to buy or keep the, the seller engaged until you're up to speed. But get clear about what your day-to-day -day would look like and how much time you're actually willing to invest for the return. So sometimes, I know this happened to me when I started looking at online businesses to buy, I started looking at the returns and I was thinking, well, how much time does this actually take to run? What would my day-to-day -day look like? Is that interesting to me? And I found that there was a minimum that I wanted to stay above as far as a return. And that's different for everyone. But I often see this with new buyers coming into the market. They'll start with a small budget and then they'll quickly escalate that budget. So one of the things I would get in place first or want in place first is access to more capital. So you're always typically always going to need more capital than you think, especially in an e-commerce business, you need working capital. So it's not just the cost to acquire the business, you need working capital to keep running, keep reordering, keep expanding. So if you can nail down access to capital, bring in partners, have bank lines, et cetera, then you've got some leverage and you wanna make sure you can cover those debt service or that equity requirement as well. So the more you have that sorted, beforehand the better and i'd look at it as building a team so we often talk to our clients on the sell side about building a deal team for them to go to market and often where most of that is in-house with us but you could look at the same thing for acquiring is who's on my deal team who who can help me acquire this who could i bring into this deal to make it even better where can i find that leverage 
So that I think bringing people together and selling them on your idea is probably the biggest skill, even though everyone thinks because you've got cash, you're in control. Um, everyone, there's a lot of people that have cash. <laughs> cash isn't, it's a commodity. It's bringing the team together, finding the right deal, negotiating proper terms. You, you, want, you want to get some reps in there. And the quickest way to do that is bring in people that have done it before. So what, do you, what exactly did you mean by deal team? Mm-hmm. So um, it depends on your own skill set. So maybe you're not a financial guy. So you want someone to help you look at the finances in the business and dig deeper. Right? Just because you're, you sell, say, on Amazon doesn't mean you understand the economics of another Amazon business. You want a, a great M&A lawyer involved. You want, you want an attorney that can help you with terms. What's normal? How can I protect my downside? You want um, people to help you vet the actual supply chain. You want... All of those people, whatever piece of the business your is outside of your comfort zone, you either need to bring a partner in, bring a consultant in, have multiple people look at the deal to see what you you're not seeing. And as in the beginning, you'll you'll often fall in love with the deal and just want it regardless because you're not used to seeing so many deals. So that's something you want a team to help you check your your thoughts and your rationale before pulling the trigger and actually making that acquisition. Yeah, that makes sense because I, I think people do get emotional once they see a deal and they fall in love with it. Even if logically there's some red flags that they see, they start rationalizing it. And uh, even as entrepreneurs who, are, who might be numbers driven at times, uh, that can still happen. And uh, yeah, really minimizing the, the downside so that if there's something completely wrong with the business and you're not seeing it, you actually see it because you have someone that, that knows more about a certain topic than you. Um, so yeah. you talked about the snowball uh, what are some other resources or books that you would have uh, for people interested in, in uh, buying businesses or also selling businesses? What are some of the top books or resources that you can recommend? Sure. Um, so more on the buy side, I'd look, oh, or sell side, it's for both. Uh, it's called The Messy Marketplace by Brent Bishaw. He runs a, a private equity group called Adventures. Um, they, look, they famously look at about 2,000 deals to acquire one business. Wow. And they have a very tight category, tight criteria. Um, they put out a lot of resources, so their stuff is interesting. This book is really cool because it walks you through who, who the buyers are and how to think about buyers. So if you're actively looking to acquire, you can check out the competition and see what you actually need to present to be a good buyer. And on the sell side, you can read this and understand more about labels like private equity groups, family offices, how to vet someone and, and really understand who the buyer actually is. And do they have access to the capital to acquire your business? It's just because the piece of paper says $10 million doesn't mean they have $10 million. Right. So that's, uh, that's really important. Um, I loved, uh, I love capitalism by Ken Langone. Um, Ken's who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> he, um, okay. he's the co-founder of home Depot and a bunch of other companies. He has equity stakes in a lot of different multi-billion dollar companies. His story of coming through as an, as an investment bank at first, working on the sell side, helping people raise capital, and then getting into actually being a stakeholder in these, these companies is a very interesting story. Um, what else? Uh, they're the main ones. Uh, also, my friend Dan Andrews wrote a book called Before the Exit. Um, that, that one's worth reading. So his thoughts after selling his e-commerce business was he could have, he 
could have made some experiments beforehand that as an alternative to just selling. Because once he sold, he lost the leverage of his business, he lost the cash flow. And for the most part, they were selling out of fear, even though their business was very diversified compared to just an Amazon single source um, revenue business. Theirs was very diversified, but they still sold and kind of regret it. And he goes through all the other things he could do if he was to do it again. So it's worth reading that. I tried to interview him on my podcast about it. He ended up interviewing me. So we've got to reshoot that. <laughs> and so I can actually dig into that. But he's a good mate of mine. So it's worth a read. Um, the Audible version is great too. Uh, we were driving back from Dallas and pretty much listened to the whole thing. So yeah, it's a, it's a light read, um, but also very, very telling. It, it's, it gives you some other options. That's interesting. I think it's so important before deciding to exit to actually prepare for that properly and and uh, leave nothing on the table or really checking everything that, uh, yeah, you can optimize for the exit. Um, One other thing before you exit to think about, a lot of people think they have a number in mind that's meaningful for them, and maybe it is. And oftentimes this is based on what the rate of return they think they can get if they invest that income or that, that bulk of money. I would start testing that theory before you sell the business. So if you think you can make X return in real estate, go do it before you sell your business. Um, start investing and make sure you can actually generate those returns. Because like you said, once you have a lump sum in the bank with nothing coming in, something changes in your mind. It's, it's, it, this fear kicks in. And I bet you this even happens at a billion dollars or $10 billion. It's, you think the bigger the money or the bigger the amount, the less that would happen. But I believe it to be the opposite. Yeah, because you don't want to definitely start with that. Yeah. 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 So I saw, I I heard an interview with John Paul DeJora, who started um, Patron Tequila and uh, Paul Mitchell hair products and stuff, multi billionaire. And he was saying he was actually homeless two or three times along the way to becoming a billionaire. And one of his key principles is to take some of the profits out of his business, no matter how successful, what the outcome or what the future of that business is, always take cash flow out and invest in something safe for you and your family to have regardless of what happens to the business. And I thought that was really smart. I've never heard someone talk about that before. Most people are in an either camp, either pull as much cash out of the business as you can because you don't know what's going to happen or reinvest everything in the business and keep growing it as big as you can. But I've never heard anyone actually put it like that. So that's, that's some sound advice, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially coming from a multi-billionaire. I think there's some uh, believability when it comes to that. Um, Absolutely. So you talked about um, uh, they, they, they take one, they buy one business out of 2000 listings that they look at. So it sounds like to me, um, buying a business is really time intensive. There's a lot of research that goes into it. And it seems like deal flow is one of the most important things. So what are some of the things that people can do if they want to look into buying a business to increase deal flow? I mean, obviously they could uh, start, start doing what you do, um, yes. but uh, what are some other things? Um, immerse yourself in the, in the vertical. So if you're new to Amazon, go to all the Amazon events, get, get a feel for what it's like. Any vertical. If you're going to go buy car washes, go hang out where the guys with car washes hang out, go work at a car wash. You know, I, I once heard a guy getting into... Um, he did massive real estate projects, um, development, 
And the first thing, the first step he took before doing these skyscrapers was actually going and being a laborer on a, on a job site, just getting, getting into the feel of the business, right? Seeing what it actually is. So as best you can get into the day-to-day before you start acquiring. And invariably by doing that, you'll get to know some of the people that are actively in that in that deal, uh, in that vertical, right? So you'll meet other business owners and you can talk to them about their business. What are their struggles? And if you're not coming from a buyer's perspective with a buyer's hat on, they'll probably open up to you and tell you a lot more than if they think you're going to buy the business. So don't lead with, Hey, I want to buy your business lead with, Oh, this is an interesting business model. Tell me more about that. What are your struggles? What are, what's good about it? What's bad about it? You know, get to know that vertical before you start um, buying. And once you do that, you'll understand the model a, a lot better and then you'll be able to work on proprietary deal flow, which is what most private equity guys look for is they want the, the channel to the deal. And then there's a lot of brokers, there's a lot of investment bankers, M&A advisors, attorneys, accountants that you can lean on as well once you know what you're looking for. But it's very hard to say to a broker, I just want to buy a business they're not going to know what to send you. But if you have a very strict criteria, I'm looking for these 10 things only. I have the cash to close. Here's my proof of funds. Here's my, here's my um, funding source. If you're needing funding, that's the way to start. Right? And that will get you more traction quicker, quicker than just putting your hand up and, and starting at, at the finish line, basically. Yeah, makes sense. Well, this has been really insightful. I've definitely learned a lot myself here. Uh, so I'm going to check out these books that you recommended. And one resource that we didn't mention is obviously uh, the Truth About Exit podcast. It's a podcast that you started. Uh, I was also on that podcast. And uh, basically, it's about uh, yeah, looking behind the curtain of what's really going on uh, when it comes to buying and selling businesses. And also, you talk about very openly about the things that people might not uh, talk about publicly that much. So um, yeah, that's definitely research resource that people should check out as well if they're interested in these topics and uh what are some other uh ways that people can connect with you or find out more about you yeah sure so the easiest way is probably um like you mentioned the truth about exits that's my my uh, thing that i love the most because <laughs> i get to talk about deals all the time uh, but also my my business is the fbabroker.com so you can go there and check out anything related to buying or selling Amazon-based businesses. We put out a lot of research and market data. So we've been tracking and monitoring the whole market worldwide for over three years. So we've got a lot of data that we share. Um, I also do a Market Watch Monday uh, video that looks very much like this because this is where I shoot it. <laughs> so yeah, you can see that too on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, you can check that out. Um, yeah, any questions, just just reach out and let us know. I'd be more than happy to talk about this stuff all day so thanks man thanks uh really appreciate you coming on here and uh yeah wishing you all the best for the future perfect you too thanks for having me thank you